0: Oh, and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today and our topic is going to be pigweed control. Oh boy, heading into the spring and we're already talking about it and you know what, you do have to plan ahead. You do have to plan what you're going to do. Obviously there's been a lot of stuff going on with dicamba. Now it sounds like existing stocks of dicamba that retailers have can be used. Uh, and there's some limits on that, which are basically the limits of when you can spray dicamba. So if you're thinking about, well, I'm going to be using dicamba to help control my pigweed species, uh, I guess that was good news that we got yesterday, Brian.
1: Yeah, I, I, I guess I still always caution people just because it's labeled doesn't mean, number one, you have to use it. And number two, you just have to be really careful because that whole drift volatility thing is a big deal with dicamba. But yeah, I mean it's it's great that we have another tool I, I'm happy about that, but I, I'm still waiting for all the last details on stuff, but it looks to me like it's got to be out of retailers' hands sometime in May in most states, and farmers obviously have to have it sprayed by the time the the last date hits for soybeans or for cotton in their state or their area and i'm what I'm trying to find out is are there going to be any returns allowed or is it just done? Is it like non-returnable? So you you got to go try to find it from a retailer. You get it. It's not returnable and you have to have it sprayed out by that certain date. Otherwise you're just done. So, I mean, there's still a few unanswered questions. Hopefully we will have the answers to those pretty soon.
0: All right. Uh, We're going to talk a lot about pigweed on today's program. Do you want to talk about that more or can we dive into the Ag PhD mailbag? Well, it's up to you, because you're running the controls. I'm remote today. Perfect. Well, we're jumping into the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right. Got this question that came in from Petey out in Idaho, and he said tolpyrolate. Just curious if you guys have had experience with this uh, and what you know. Obviously, that's a component that's in Tolvera that Corteva has. Uh, it's tolpyrolate, which is an HPPD combined with Bucktrol. Uh, and that can be used in cereal crops. Uh, there are some premixes now out there that contain Uh I don't think from any of the major manufacturers, but uh, it's one that we see mixed with metalachlor. So it's basically just another HPPD. Um, I don't really see any big difference from the other HPPDs out there on the market already. Is there anything you know, Brian, that would tell, tell anybody different?
1: No, I haven't worked enough with that one in particular, so we just know that having an HPPD is pretty nice because it's a little different chemistry than used to be used in a lot of the small grains, but the flip side of that is you have to be careful with rotational restrictions because there are HPPDs that can cause some issues, which reminds me, we were talking about pursuit, and I, I don't remember if this email came in to to us at, at the radio show, but... Um, There there are some sugar beet farmers that are getting awfully concerned about, well, pursuit's really cheap now, and now we get to use it again, or some people will be using it again, but boy, it can carry over a long time going into sugar beets. And so the reason why I'm bringing all that up is you just have to look at not just next year, but the following year in some of these geographies, because there are certain chemistries that even if there's a tiny trace of it left in the soil, it's a problem. So like with HPPDs, we don't worry too much in a lot of cases. Generally speaking, a year later and especially two years later, um, there are a lot of crops that we're fine with, but not everything. So make sure you're checking that rotational restriction. And here's one other thing that I wanted to bring up. We've had three and a half years of drought on our farm. So we are thinking about rotational restrictions differently than normal because of all this drought. And what I mean by that is if the label says 12 months, well, because of the drought, we're thinking we probably should call it 14 or 15 months just using logical common sense. So that's what I always try to tell guys is, look, there's the label, but then you can be more cautious than that. And we encourage you to do so in certain situations.
0: All right. This question comes in from Mark in central Iowa, and he's going to have some switchgrass he said i understand simazine works as a pre-emerge for weeds and for grasses uh can i apply it for weed control and then broadcast switchgrass and actually have the switchgrass germinate it doesn't make sense to me but others that i talk to say it will it's actually labeled in switchgrass in the united states but uh, simazine has been banned in many eu countries for the last 20 years Uh, it's some older chemistry we don't talk about very much brian
1: no we don't um I, it's in the same chemical family as uh, atrazine. I, I mean, and metribuzin. It's a trizine. So, yeah, I, I guess I would just say I we don't we've never planted any switchgrass. Uh, I I'm, I feel pretty comfortable that you can do that. The other one that seems weird too is atrazine and switchgrass because I'm always going well, atrazine hurts grasses, but the problem is like in switchgrass we don't have any great options where there's going to be zero crop injury and so you just have to take some of these other things that are well they're okay yeah. <laughs> and that's about as much as I can. And
0: do. you look at switchgrass a lot of folks will use simazine as a pre and come back with 2,4-D for broadleaves that's that's their program yeah. so it's yeah. uh, a couple yep. of older chemistries out there that are still getting used. Uh, all right fertilizer yeah. question this comes from Marion down in Nebraska he says KMAG fertilizer I'm just curious, if I use K-Mag, it's 21% potash, 10% magnesium, 21% sulfur. Uh, Will it increase my pH? According to the supplier's website, they say it has a pH of 7, so would you expect a pH change using K-Mag?
1: Well, you're not going to use that much. So is it realistically going to change your pH? No. But, if you already have an excess of magnesium, and if you did, I'm sure you would not be using this product, but if you already had an excess of magnesium and you put it more in excess, then you would raise the pH. But again, we're talking such minute amounts that you're going to spread. I mean, what, what, what are you going to put out there? You know, a uh, couple, 300 pounds. I mean, it's just, it doesn't amount to anything. So I'm not that worried about it. I don't think you have any big concern, but if you want to send us your soil test, we can sure look at it, but I I think you're going to be fine.
0: Hey, thanks for the question, Marion. We really appreciate it. And we'll probably have some questions come in on pigweed control, as that's our topic today. We'll be right back after this.
2: Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit MortonBuildings.com.
0: My mom's got a new case i tractor, and it can do it all.
4: Palmer Amorat. Four counts of yield, theft, resistance to groups two, four, nine. You ain't got nothing on me, man. We've been surveilling you. And now we've got Tough 5EC, a tank mix partner that'll make sure you and your gang of resistant weeds never see the daylight again. Crack down on repeat offenders. Add Tough 5EC
3: to your post-emergence tank mix. Learn more at toughonweeds.com. Always read and follow label directions. Tough is a registered trademark of Belsham Crop Protection.
5: Maverick Corn Herbicide from Valent, USA, has proven to be a key part of growers' success in fighting problematic weeds. But don't take it from us. Take it from agronomy manager Nate Honek.
6: We've seen tremendous weed control that was sprayed in dry, hot conditions with uh, very little rain within two weeks after application. Very easy application. Definitely tank mixed well with the various products we used.
5: Visit valent.com backslash maverick to learn more about Maverick Corn Herbicide. Always read and follow label instructions.
0: back you're listening to ag phd radio broadcasting from the morton studio today with the topic of pigweed control man you think about it if we all could just a hundred percent wipe out pigweeds in our fields what a nice year this would be so hopefully today we'll have some great suggestions for you on how you can do just that on your farm got nathan Druitz with us right now with valent who and nathan's had to deal with some pigweed for a while over in minnesota how you doing nathan Pretty good. How are you doing today? Good. And there are several different types of pigweeds. And so I know some folks will say, "Well, we've got Palmer in our area. Or we've got water hemp in our area." Uh, I don't think it really matters. A lot of the control methods are, are the same, and one may be slightly different—a uh, slightly different species than the other. But I just kind of lump them all together. How about you? Do you do you think it really changes if you have one versus the other?
7: In a lot of cases, not really, especially when you're looking at your herbicides. For the most part, the herbicides are going to work on your hemp and Palmer, going to work on your others. Really what it boils down to is how fast do you need to react? And so with hemp and Palmer, they grow a little quicker, so we want to react to those a little bit quicker in terms of applications versus your red-ribbed pigweeds.
0: Alright, so it starts with pre-emerge for us and, and honestly a lot of guys are finding great success starting even in the fall with fall applications seeing less pressure. What are you seeing? I know some of your products get used in the fall or very early spring quite often.
7: Well, when it comes to water hemp, uh, you know, and, and pigweed species in general, the fall timing is, is really important if you do see that flush come in in the fall. Ah, uh, but for those of us, you know, like in Minnesota here, that's not necessarily a big concern. Is versus when you get uh, start getting further south of here, uh, in those in those different conditions, and so. Uh, but up here, you know, if, if you are experiencing that, of course, uh, valor does go down, and the can go down in the fall, and that does provide us with some level of flexibility depending on what crop rotations you're in. Uh, some people have experimented with putting down some Group Fifteens as well, but. Uh, for the most part, my primary focus when I'm looking at those pigweed species is getting in that spring, making sure that I I am uh, clean when I start, and I'm you know and I stay clean throughout the season.
0: When we look at a lot of these different pre's and especially these pre mixes, there there are different rates in there, and I I noticed with Valor, we used to use two ounces back in the day and we've been having a lot better luck with two and a half to three ounces now in the spring or just mixing it in as one of three components as we often do uh, putting some different modes of action out there Uh, valent has worked on that quite a bit too, adding different modes of action with that that key PPO in there Uh, what do you see I guess if you get a combination you like is there kind of a use rate guideline that you like to see at least so much valor in the tank mix in order to get the job done
7: well for from that perspective I'm ten, if, if I'm looking at valor, uh, really what I'm looking at is that is the actual tolerance of those of those pigweed species in and of themselves. When we're looking at water hemp versus and palmer amaranth, uh, depending on where you're at If we're dealing with resistance concerns, especially PPO resistance concerns in those species, that can be a major issue. And so that definitely decreases our residual ability to utilize some of those PPO inhibitors such as Valor. And so, uh, you know, in terms of rates, absolutely, we want to see those rates maxed out. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to be putting down half rates or partial rates. And so... Depending on what your crop rotation looks like, make sure that you know when what those plant back restrictions are, and if you can follow, you know, or if and if you can put Valor at a higher rate before that crop. That's what we're going to recommend in this case. Uh, really, in, in all honesty, it's less of a specific rate that's doing the job, so and more of we want to make sure that we're getting the full rate out there, so that way we're we're hopefully pushing off that resistance concern, and, and getting that control we need.
0: Yeah, that's a great point that uh, we we hear about resistance or tolerance all the time. We've got to go out there with, with the maximum rates that we can with each of the products that we're using to make sure we can avoid those problems on our own farms. Talking to Nate Druitz here with Valent. Nate, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Thank you. Got Todd Cogdale on with us right now with FMC. He's operating down out of Iowa and, boy, it looked like it was about spring in Iowa, Todd, but uh, did you guys catch a little bit of this snow and wintry feeling weather too?
6: So, yeah, last night we got got a little bit of rain uh, and then a little bit of freezing rain. It looks like we're teed up for maybe one to three inches of snow here this evening. So, yeah, we're, we're moving in, in a backwards direction, I guess, if, if you want winter to be over.
0: Well, there are a lot of guys that would like some moisture. And, you know, you think about putting out pre's. We were just talking with Nate Druids <laughs> about pre's. And uh, obviously, FMC's got some great pre's, too, with the Authority brands and more. Um, you know, you think about that. We need some moisture to get those things to work.
6: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm never going to turn down moisture anytime I can get it. And, and right now is actually a really important time to get that you know, that topsoil and, and start recharging a little bit of our subsoil as well, but get that, that top surface rehydrated. So when we come into spring here, uh, you know, when we're putting those pre's down. We have a little bit of moisture there. So when it catches that first rain, you know, we're not trying to re-wet the whole profile. So I, I think, you know, this the snow we had this winter and, and some of these little shots we're getting here uh, as we're moving towards spring are, are going to be really important for setting us up for success for controlling pigweed with our with our
0: priests. Now, one thing we talk to growers about is make sure you're picking the right blend uh, when you're going out there. Like, like, for example, the Authority, there's a number of different Authority products with different combinations of ingredients. And when we look at those active ingredients towards pigweed, what are maybe your number one and number two recommendations among the Authority products?
6: Yeah, so. My, my number one number two are going to be either Authority Edge or Authority Supreme, uh, both of them having, you know, that long residual capacity that, that we know out of both sulfentrazone and pyroxysulfone, um, and really positioning those are, are going to depend on your soil types. You know, those, those heavier uh, black soils, I personally would uh, favor more towards authority edge. So having a little bit higher load of, of that PPO of, of, sulfentrazone, And then if you get into a, say a lighter soil or soil with a little bit higher pH, then, then I would move towards authority Supreme to, to back down uh, the amount of, of the PPO in there, but then raising that, that group 15 in, in pyroxysulfone. But the great thing about it is, is you have a good balance of both active ingredients in either product that are going to bring that long-lasting residual that that we need and expect to uh, get us to that that post-emergence timing and and hopefully keep that, that field clean all season long.
0: You know, for for farmers in drier areas, we've seen some pretty good luck the last few years getting out there just a little bit earlier with that post-emerge spray to give it a little more time to catch some moisture and activate that post-emerge residual. What do you see on that and what's been the best success with growers you've worked with? Do they look at a date on the calendar and say, okay, 21 days later I'm coming back and putting on this post-residual or are they just trying to time it right before a rain?
6: Yeah, you know, I, I think what I what I've seen to work the best is is really in that you know twenty one to twenty eight days after your pre. Really mark that on on your calendar and and get as close as you can to that. You're you know the, the best and easiest weed to control is the one that hasn't emerged yet. You know we we have uh, you know difficulties once once pigweed gets up and and gets any size to it. So the best part is if you can lay that that. Overlapping residual down onto, uh, you know, black or brown soil. That's, that's going to take you to canopy and, and that's really important. And, and in that, that use pattern, we'd be looking at, at Anthem Max again uh, overlapping with, uh, more pyroxysulfone and then having that, uh, cadet portion in there. So if you do have some, some small weeds, uh, velvet leaf, lamb's quarter, you know, really small pigweed up, you know, it's really going to help with that tank mix partner to help burn those down it and get that control to get you to canopy
0: Wow, you mentioned velvet leaf we saw a number of outbreaks last year in different areas and wow is cadet (laughs) something on velvet leaf that was awesome but i'll say this todd if people think cadet is going to be the foot tall pigweed rescue product uh they're using it the wrong way i like what you're saying about the anthemax with the cadet in there get it out there early when the weeds are small and it is really a good product
6: yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're we're never going to be controlling a foot tall pigweed with with anything, and and really, like I said, the, the key with our overlapping residuals is get it out there before that that next flush of weeds come up, so we absolutely. don't even have to worry about the size of that that pigweed. Yeah, for sure.
0: Todd Cogdell here with FMC. Thank you so much, Todd. Really appreciate it.
6: You bet. Thanks, Darren. Great talking to you today.
0: Stay tuned. We'll be right back. If you look
8: close enough, you can see the hidden potential within your fields. That's why an agroliquid nutrition plan starts with the crop and identifies the precise combination of primary nutrients while focusing on the support of secondary and micronutrients. So every nutrient is working in harmony for your crop to reach its full potential, maximizing growth while offering lower use rates. Apply less? Expect more? Precisely. Find an AgroLiquid dealer at agroliquid.com.
10: Every season, you're collecting yield data on virtually every acre of your farm. But what good is your data if you never use it? Put it to work with Verify. Verify takes yield data directly from your combine and instantly generates variable rate fertility maps based on crop removal, ensuring your crops get what they need, right where they need it, no matter what equipment you run. Go to Verify.com to find an expert to help you get started. That's V-R-A-F-Y dot com.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about our old friend the pigweed and how to stop it so you don't have to face that all throughout the season. Well, Last year, we had a drought on our farm. We had 30-inch row soybeans that didn't close as quickly as we wanted them to. Even though we got them planted pretty early, we just didn't have enough moisture, and it's one of those lessons that you learn from, and you say, all right, we got to do a better job, we got to change some things up, maybe narrow the rows up, uh, plan a little higher population, whatever we can do to make sure that our rows close, because even with all the things that we did, we still had a few pigweeds out there, and... Uh, that that's just something that's not acceptable on this farm and it's probably not acceptable at all in yours either so we'll talk about pigweed control we'll also keep our phone lines open at 844-44-AG-PHD or you can email us radio at agphd.com. got matt inman on with us right now he works with basf how you doing matt
11: hey how you doing Appreciate you having me.
0: Yeah, I'm doing well. And I'm, I tell you what, I'm honestly tired of talking about pigweed. It seems like it's been uh, 30 years of nothing, but man, pigweed, pigweed, <laughs> pigweed. This is one tough weed that keeps adapting.
11: And and, and that's what, to uh, be honest, that's what got me started in, into the, man, it's, it's funded a lot of grad students and, and ran a lot of programs over the years, that's for sure. Yeah,
0: yeah, it definitely has. And, you know, we've been talking about uh, a comprehensive approach to pigweed control with herbicides and and looking at pre-emerge products. Post-emerge residuals, post-emerge rescue or burn-down type options. I mean, that's just part of the equation. I mentioned a couple of the cultural things earlier, maybe narrowing up rows and the timing of when you do things. It just it, it, this is one of those tough competitors out there that our crops just have a difficult time with. So, where do you start, Matt? Uh, you've been doing this for a long time too. Where do you start with pigweed control?
11: Yeah, absolutely, and and I, I like that you. Start- Cause that definitely, that plays into it. But, uh, you know, hopefully you've got a plan in place by now, you know, we're,
0: uh, Ooh, uh, to- we got a tough connection here. Uh, I'll let Alex Tran get that working here. Um uh, we're talking with Matt Inman here down in at BASF, and uh, you know when you think about all the different premixes, we were talking about this earlier. Just looking at what rates there are, looking at what the active ingredients are, trying to find things that are that are working on the weeds that you've got. Uh, Brian was talking about a few uh, specific products as we got started with the show. That hey, you know what? Uh, there are guys that are adding in uh, first rate, for example, for ragweed. Awesome, that's a great addition for ragweed control. Um, uh, other folks will say, well, you know what? I got to have some Metribuzin in there. That really helps me out on a variety of small seeded broadleaves, like pigweed, for example. Hey, that's one that a lot of folks are doing now. Metribuzin's really gotten popular again in some of these mixes. Uh, the other one that we talk about is the yellows. And uh, a lot of times if, if I'm talking to a grower that's 50 years old or older, I'll hear, oh yeah, the yellows, yep, we we used to do that, or maybe we kept that in the program, and it's a lot of times either trifluralin for the guys that are doing tillage, or it's prowl for the guys that aren't doing tillage, uh, and those those can be really helpful items as well. Certainly a lot of attention on PPOs, uh, whether it's Sharpen or Valor or Authority these days. Uh, th- those have been really nice additions that have come along uh, in, in my time as an agronomist, the yellows were here long before me uh so i guess um you think about it metribuzin's an old product the yellows are old products and uh we got to utilize some of these new chemistries that are in here too in addition to those old ones to to try to support them and to make sure we don't end up with resistance type issues um let's let's head uh, over we got jeff benton with us right now with Belsham to talk a little bit about pigweed control how you doing jeff
11: great. Good afternoon.
0: Well, obviously uh, you've got the product Tough and that's gotten a lot of attention in the market as being a helper for corn and for a number of other crops that don't have a lot of options for pigweed control. That's that's a pretty good place to be in when you can talk to folks that say, man, nothing's working here and, and you bring back an ingredient that can do the job.
11: You bet. Well, we like pigweed. I mean, pigweed doesn't like us, but we love it. In fact, it was red wheat red root pigweed, to be more specific, that got us back on the market in 2017 when we picked up our Section 18 and mint. Um, The growers weren't satisfied with the herbicides that they were using, and there was a study done actually by the U.S. Department of Agriculture that showed how much better tough controlled pigweed compared to...
0: Just dropped off Jeff there. Now, man, we're having some phone issues on today's show, but uh, Jeff was talking about about the product tough several things here and this is one that's gotten added into uh for for us on our farm corn rotations as as a post-emerge treatment it's a contact killer it doesn't have residual it doesn't limit you on what crop you can rotate to and and jeff was mentioning hey this can be used in mint and the last couple of years at our ag phd field day we've added some plots with different kinds of mint added some, some different kinds of mint in there just to, just to showcase this, but that's not the only crop that, that this goes on mint and, and corn and, and a number of other crops as well. All right. We got Jeff back on.
11: Yeah, I'm back on. So anyway, so, um, so as you were just saying, I mean, it does, it can be used uh, in other crops to control pigweed, uh, chickpeas and lentils, uh, to name a couple of others. I mean, pigweed and, and different species of pigweed are issues across the, the country. So I think uh, Tough is a nice fit in multiple places.
0: Yeah. And I, I think, you know, the new product now, Tougher or Tuffer. Uh, that adds uh, miso in there as well with the second ingredient is pretty exciting because a lot of growers were, were doing that on their own, to be honest, and, and now to have a premix is pretty handy when you can get both active ingredients in one. Uh, the other one is atrazine, Jeff. We're, we're seeing a lot of guys that have really seen some synergy adding just a little bit of atrazine in with tough giving it even more kick.
11: Uh, exactly. I mean, I think we realize that you know, some of these traditional tank mixes are starting to lose a little bit of their punch. And if we come in and we just add eight ounces of tough, uh, like in a, in a corn mix, okay. To treat as a herbicide to hit those problematic weeds, like pigweed, uh, just a small amount, uh, amount of tough eight ounces is, is giving us, uh, an increase in performance that growers expect. So you're right that the combination throwing the mesotrione in there, the atrazine in with the tough is, uh, just doing well
0: all right talk to us about coverage talk to us about timing a little bit I'm assuming you're you're mainly making recommendations off the weed height but uh, what what do you think about there if guys say well hey I'm going to try this product this year uh, what do I need to do to make sure it works the best
11: Okay, if we want to have the best performance, it always starts with the size of the weed. We're not paying attention to the crop. We're looking at the weed size. And our sweet spot is two to four inches. That's where we want to be. You get to five, we're going to kill some. We're going to stun others. You get to six, uh, don't, you know, walk away. Um, So really, the smaller the weed, the better performance you're going to to see with tough. Also, carrier. We want to have good coverage. I think you've talked about that in your other shows. You know, 15 gallons uh, per acre is is the bare minimum.
0: Yeah, 15 gallons is is something that's kind of a target for us, too. We'd like at least 15. I know a lot of times we'll say, um, and our friend Tom Wood with Belsham will say this, too, oh, man, if you could do 20 gallons, that's even better. It's just getting small droplets and getting good good coverage that that's what's really going to make the difference here. And and I do like what Jeff said to two to four inch tall weeds. That's where we're going to be. And if we can get out there a little bit on the early side and for our farm, here's a great example. We got more acres than we're going to be able to spray in one day. And so what we like to do with that two to four inch weed size is if we can get out there when the first field we say, OK, there are maybe one to two inches tall. Great. Let's start rolling. And by the time uh, we get to the second day, the third day, the fourth day of spraying, now, now we've got some weeds that are probably pushing that four inches. Uh, so by getting a little bit of an early jump on that weed control, uh, we're going to have the best results with products like Tuff. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Look forward to talking to you again down the road.
11: Thank you very much.
0: You bet. Talking about pigweed control here, and it's not just a corn show or a soybean show or a wheat show or anything like that. We're just talking with Jeff Benton here with Belsham. Uh, where you can use tough in crops like mint and chickpeas and lentils. These are the kind of things we like to highlight at the Ag PhD field day because, hey, we're on some of my brother's ground, and he's got a few pigweeds out there. So you can see what some of these different modes of action and, and different products out there can add to your tank mix. So definitely as you're talking to your agronomist and setting up your plan for this year, talk to him about, hey, what's new, what's different, and what can I do to add to my control? Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
8: Are you ready for better efficiency, more productivity, higher yields? Then you're ready for John Deere Precision Technology, which starts with three core pieces. First, a G5 display gives fast views of your work and a window to future technology. A Starfire receiver gives you sub-inch repeatable accuracy without an RTK base station. And a JD-Link modem gives you a live view of your entire operation. Get precise and talk with your John Deere dealer or visit johndeere.com backslash Facebook
5: Maverick Corn Herbicide from Valent USA has proven to be a key part of growers' success in fighting problematic weeds. But don't take it from us, take it from farmer Rob Schaefer.
9: Residuals have become a big part of our chemical programs with trying to battle water hemp and also mare's tail is our big one. It's done a real good job of controlling those. You don't have to you know, put a bunch of gallons in your sprayer, cover a lot of acres that way.
5: Visit valent.com backslash maverick to learn more about Maverick Corn Herbicide. Always read and follow label instructions.
4: What's the difference between John, who bought Enlist One Herbicide and Instinct Next Gen Nitrogen Stabilizer, and Tom, who bought Enlist One and Instinct Next Gen and used True Choice? Only about $5,000 extra in Tom's pocket? Choose True Choice and get up to 10% back. It's really as simple as that. Start saving at Corteva.com save more. On your
10: farm, you spend thousands on fertilizer every season. But how do you know if any nutrient you apply is paying for itself? Build a fertility plan like never before with Verify. With Verify's soil point-to-yield analysis, you can automatically see the connection between your soil test and yield data. To see which fertilizer dollars will make you money and which won't, go to Verify.com to get started today.
8: That's V-R-A-F-Y dot com.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about pigweed again. But of course, you know, many of these solutions that you may be hearing, oh, wow, here's something I could do in this crop or in that crop. Obviously, they control a lot more weeds than just pigweeds. I I don't know of a single herbicide that only kills pigweed and doesn't kill any of the other weeds. So uh, you, you may have something slightly different than pigweed. I look at it like this. It's a small seeded broadleaf that means those seeds are often in the top half inch or inch of soil. And if you get a little bit of moisture, it doesn't take much and you get another flush of those weeds coming. So we got to do everything we can to get to crop canopy without having a lot of weeds out in our field. Uh, got TJ on right now with Syngenta down in Kansas. How you doing TJ? I'm doing good. When growers talk to you about pigweed, I'm assuming there's a little bit of water hemp, there's a little bit of Palmer pigweed, there's several different species they're going after, and, and you got some new products this year to, to try and knock them out. What, uh, talk to us about some of the new ones like, like Storin, for example.
3: Yeah, so Storin's a new corn herbicide for this season that we've basically taken a little bit of different look and using two different group 27s along with two group 15s. So, we have our bicyclopyrone, Callisto, Dual 2 Magnum, Pyroxisulfone, and on top of that, the Bonox Core Safener to help us out.
0: Yeah, this sounds like a product for people who are absolutely sick of pigweed and just want to be done with it Have you done with it for a well, long time. Know,
3: I'm in Western Kansas, and we were saying some water hemp and other pigweed scattered in. No, we've pretty much just taken all those out. We only have a Palmer at this point in time. So.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, either way, it's it's a, a terrible weed and it's going to impact growers. I think regardless of crop rotation, even the three crop rotation guys say it's still a problem for them. So uh, it's got quite a seed bank too. I mean, if you let just one go to seed, you're probably going to be fighting it for a while
3: yeah you're gonna be fighting it for a long time and then the other thing that works up against us is the rate that it grows you know you can make the best attempt to try to control it once it comes out of the ground but usually by the time you get there it's over labeled height and uh, we have environment that works against us too so
0: yeah you sure do and you know, you think about, oh boy, western Kansas, it should be dry. Maybe you aren't going to get those last flushes, but we've been dry the last few years. There are a lot of challenges, even in dry environments with, with lady mergers. It doesn't take much rain to get these things coming.
3: Yeah, I think a heavy dew will get them enough moisture to germinate, apparently. That's, that's kind of what we deal with all the time.
0: How about in soybeans? Now, I, I know you've got a new solution in soybeans, too, this year.
3: Yeah, so Tendovo herbicides, that's a combination of dual magnum, metribuzin, and clarance So another thing where we're looking at using different sites of action, but they're very complementary to each other to help us out with that Palmer and water hemp control.
0: You know, when you think about that, adding multiple modes of action makes a lot of sense to us. Um, you know, the metribuzin compor- component in there is is one that has really added a lot of kick. And I know for some growers I talked to, uh, they don't they haven't even heard about metribuzin until just the last few years. But it's something that's been out for a while and it's been adding a lot of control to different weeds. We used to use metribuzin in our mixes because we had some lambsquarters or or um, what we used to call manure weeds, and and now it's pigweed that that seems to be the main target
3: yeah and that's one product that uh, there seems to be a lot of people that don't quite understand it. you know they're they're worried about some response but you know the days that they remember they were running at rates much 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 higher than what we are now so not as much of a concern now that you start thinking about that it is rate dependent too
0: yeah, there's just a lot of different options out there. We encourage you, again, talk to your agronomist about, hey, what's out there, what's new, what's different, uh, what else can I throw at pigweeds? Because, uh, honestly, it does pay to switch up products a little bit here and there, too, just to throw some different things at it. Uh, we're talking with T.J. Bins here at Syngenta. It works down in western Kansas. T.J., thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Thank you. Have a good day. You, too got Scott Youngren coming up here uh, with Corteva, and I want to ask a little bit about uh, controlling pigweed in Enlist soybeans. That's one where uh, growers have, we, we've seen the last few years, more growers switching to the Enlist soybean trait, and, and one of the reasons why is the opportunity to use products like Enlist One. Uh, how you doing, Scott?
2: Hey, doing good. How are you doing? Good. Great, great.
0: Uh, yeah, when we talk about soybeans, uh, the Enlist trait seems to be gaining a lot of traction. Obviously, there's a lot of things going on with dicamba right now in the courts. But, uh, but regardless of that, uh, the opportunity to utilize the Enlist One chemistry has been, been something that's worked quite well for pigweed. What, what are your recommendations heading into this season and what's the best way to utilize that trait?
2: Well, you know, the, the, yeah, I love talking about the subject, so thank you for that. Um, you know, it's a cornerstone to to a to a really successful, long-lasting herbicide program. It, it's a trait that we we expect to have a lot of longevity out of it. But to get that, we're going to have to use it properly, and and that means we're going to use it with other modes of action. So uh, that starts pre-emergence or even fall applied. If you're up in the Dakotas and you can, or northern Iowa and areas, you might uh, no-till and get away with some fall applied chemicals. But starting, you know, with clean fields, using great pre-emergence chemistries with multiple modes of action, and then using your enlist post-emergence and tank mixing it with either glufosinate or Liberty uh, or or even glyphosate um, for a broad spectrum, multiple modes of action approach.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you on the glufosinate or Liberty side. Uh, there are a lot of growers that use just straight Liberty or glufosnate, and and it'll work, especially if you bump it up to the 43-ounce rate, but the best success we've had has been mixing Liberty with Enlist and putting a good shot of both out there. That has just been awesome, uh, even on weeds that are a little bigger, although I'm sure you'd prefer if we could try to get them at the two to four-inch size.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's, you know, that's that's kind of a moving target, isn't it? Um, We, uh, We'd all love to do that, and we strongly advocate for getting them before they're uh, four inches high. Um, but that tank mixed with Liberty, you know that I think there's people that are going to be tempted. That some of them out there to want to try going it alone. But my coaching would be just to, to don't go, don't cheap it out, don't do that. Um, we've seen what happens when we approach uh, water hemp, pigweed acres with water, uh, Palmer amaranth acres with a single mode of action. We we can get resistance. And uh, so, like you said, Liberty is so much better with Enlist with it. Enlist is better when we tank mix with Liberty. So, great tank mix. All
0: right. Talk to us a little bit about post-emerge residual options and uh, mixing things with Enlist. Do you have any issues with that? Is, Is that kind of a standard recommendation now, 21, 28 days after planting?
2: Yeah, we... We've we've long recommended uh, a post residual. Of course, you know the enlist or the the glufosinate option, not having residual. For us, it's 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 always been a, a, a metolachlor based. You know, our EverPreX has been a, a popular recommendation. But there's there's the there's the warrant users, the acetylchlor users out there. Uh, there's some other chemistries that people are throwing in there. But that 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 next shot of residual is what we really need. Um, in particular, in some of those 30-inch those rows scenarios where we're not closing the rows as, as quickly.
0: Yeah, that's been a challenge for for us, uh, getting those rows closed as fast as we want, as we've been pretty dry. Uh, I I do find a lot of the cultural practices have really helped too. And uh, when we hear about Enlist beans, man, I can speak to this. The drought tolerance has been fantastic. The the emergence has been fantastic. There's just some really good varieties in there. Uh, They've been out for a long time. There's quite a few different classes that have come out now of new germplasm. We're seeing a lot with the Peaking uh, nematode trait. We're seeing stacked phytophthora genes, excluders in there, salt excluders. It, it's just been really a robust uh, germplasm that you're working with too on the endless soybeans.
2: Yeah, you've got a great awareness of it. You really do because uh, the agronomic traits have to come with the with the yield, and uh, it's our best germplasm from Corteva. Um, where whichever vehicle you're you're getting that Corteva seed through. Um, you know, the, whether it's a Happy Seed or, or Pioneer or whichever brand is out there, uh, those are those are the vehicles that are going li- to deliver that elite germplasm to you.
0: Obviously, we want to get great yields, and one of the best ways to do it is by stopping pigweed. We're talking to Scott Youngman here with Corteva about the enlist trait and about the best ways to knock out those tough pigweeds. Scott, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it.
2: Hey, thank you. You guys uh, have a great great spring up there. Thank you.
0: You bet. Talk a little more about pigweed and dive back into the Ag PhD mailbag coming up right after this.
4: What's the difference between John, who bought Enlist One Herbicide and Instinct Next Gen Nitrogen Stabilizer, and Tom, who bought Enlist One and Instinct Next Gen and used True Choice? Only about $5,000 extra in Tom's pocket. Choose True Choice and get up to ten percent back. It's really as simple as that. Start saving at Corteva.com/save more. Higher
8: yield potential starts with the season-long systemic disease protection of Zayway brand fungicides from FMC. Zayway brand fungicides protect corn crops from key foliar diseases and support physiological benefits that help develop healthier. Higher yielding corn for a difference you'll appreciate at harvest visit your FMC retailer for an at-plant advantage always read and follow all label directions your
10: farm data platform might let you manage your fertilizer plan by helping you set sample points determine management zones or create fertilizer recommendations with verify you can do all that But what Verify does that no one else can is take yield data straight from your combine, correlate this info to soil test points, and immediately generate variable rate fertilizer maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether you want to build soil levels, balance your field for uniform nutrition, or maintain fertility levels by simply applying what you removed at harvest. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Sign up for your Verify account today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. That's V-R-A-F-Y dot Get more durability
8: for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI.
10: Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. For the smallest investment with the biggest impact on yield, upgrade your planter with Germinator Closing Wheels from MFG. To see how we stack up against the competition at a fraction of the cost,
9: call us at 712-520-6051.
0: back you're listening to ag phd radio we've we're diving back into the ag phd mailbag time here got one that came in from clayton down in eastern missouri he said guys uh, looking to learn more about managing soil organic matter but i've researched myself into a corner we've got a goal of mineralizing crop residue and gaining access to the nutrients in that But we also want to build organic matter. Are those two mutually exclusive? It seems like strategies leading to mineralization and decay of residue like tillage or spraying biologicals for stock digestion would not suit well for building organic matter. What am I missing?
1: (laughs) Yep, that is kind of the trick. So this is why every once in a while I get a farmer who comes up to me and says, you know, Brian, I pulled out the moldboard plow last year and it's Those are the best yields I've had in a while. I hate to tell anybody. (laughs) It's like, look, tillage is not necessarily the answer, but what is happening is you are getting more release through organic matter mineralization in the short term by depleting your organic matter levels. So it is a little bit mutually exclusive. You've got to fertilize for the crop. And... I'm not too worried about that whole mineralization thing as far as trying to accelerate it much beyond what we normally figure. What we normally figure, like in our region, is 20 to 30 pounds of nitrogen for every 1% of organic matter, 4 to 7 pounds of phosphate, and 2 to 3 pounds of sulfur. And if you just use that, so for example, if you had 5% organic matter, that'd be 100 to 150 pounds of nitrogen. Just for example, uh, if if you're just using that and saying, okay, well, I'm just going to live with that. Great. Everything's going to be fine. But if you say, well, I want to push it. and I want to try to get 180 pounds of nitrogen out of my soil. Well, that's where the moldboard plow is going to come in. And in the short term, everything's going to look amazing. But in the long term, you're going to go, dang, my organic matter levels are going down. I'm not getting as much mineralization now. And to make things worse, I got more erosion and I haven't built up my soil. So it all depends on how you want to farm.
0: Well, I look at it this way, Clayton. I'm looking at the above-ground residue and putting a biological out there, maybe some nitrogen, those kinds of things, to break those stocks down faster. I don't think that's going to make a whole lot of difference to your organic matter because if you can leave that root not. system intact, that's where most of your organic matter build is going to come from. So you can reduce right. tillage. You can use stuff to digest stocks on the surface, whether that's a cow or whether that's biological products and maybe some foliar nitrogen that you'd spray on or not foliar really, but nitrogen you might spray on the residue, that kind of stuff or stocking or chopping corn stock, um, Cornhead, uh, those kind of things would be great. Uh, boy, I'm having a hard time speaking today, but uh, you can do a lot of okay. stuff above let ground. Me, me... Just leave the below ground intact.
1: Right. So, and just to make myself clear here, I'm talking about organic matter. What's laying on the soil surface is organic material. For organic material, we are all for trying to break that down as fast as possible because we want to get those nutrients back out and quite frankly those what's above ground is only there to protect the soil for a little while until your crop gets growing and in most cases we're good so we just want it broken down soon after that release the nutrients get it back into the next crop and we're in good shape
0: all right thanks for the question Clayton uh, I get this one that came in from Ryan he sent in a soil test here uh, Ryan is in Indiana Uh, He said, all right, guys, I've teamed up with a company that's got biosolids and manure, and we've got an abundance of phosphorus available to us right now. So on the biosolids, we're regulated by nitrogen loading, not phosphorus loading limits. So we can actually get quite a bit of phosphorus out there and we can build things. We've got a a silt loam soil, pattern tiled every 50 feet, uh, producing 240 bushel corn, 85 bushel beans. Uh, we put some winter wheat out there. We drilled that in and put on potash out there uh, in the fall. And now I'm working on building up my K base saturation more consistently into the 4% range. Uh, the biosolids, unfortunately, are naturally deficient in K. So does a phosphorus number like we've got on these soil tests, uh, anywhere from 100 to 200 parts per million, does that raise a yellow flag with you? I've seen a great response in my beans by building this up. Um And it's also improved soil, tilth, and organic matter. I just don't want to cause an imbalance of something else. Here's the challenge, Ryan. I don't have any of your sulfur or micronutrients on the test. Not tested for that at all. I would love to see those micros because as we build phosphorus up, that can uh, hurt us in terms of bringing zinc and copper in. Uh, So we'd like to see a complete analysis. And then the other thing I noticed, uh, we've got some sodium-based saturations now in the 1% to 2% range. If there's some sodium coming with those biosolids or heavy metals, I'd love to see a complete analysis of those to see if we can keep using them at these high rates. Uh, What are your thoughts, Brian?
1: Yep, I agree. Roughly what we're looking for usually, and this is a rough figure, it doesn't have to be exactly this, 30 to 1 phosphorus to copper, 10 to 1 phosphorus to zinc. That's what we would like our soil to be at.
0: So he's got so he's got P1 and, and P2 go, phosphorus. P1 and P2 phosphorus. Now they're almost identical. What kind uh, of?
1: So we've got yeah, the pH down in the sixes. Of, yeah, but we don't know what kind of zinc and copper right, test Right, going to
0: exactly, have run. Exactly. I'm just saying with P1 and P2 phosphorus, a lot of times you say about these phosphorus ratios, which one of those are you looking at?
1: Well, usually we compare P1 to a DTPA or we compare a malic 3 phosphorus to a malic 3 zinc and copper.
0: So, so definitely get a, get a full analysis of your soil and get a full analysis of the biosolids and manure that you've got available. We'd love to take a look at those, Ryan, if yeah. you could send those back in and, and we would absolutely comment on that. Uh, yeah,
1: and again, it doesn't have to, this ratio thing, it doesn't have to be exact, but I'm telling you what, if you're 100 to 1 phosphorus to zinc or 100 to 1 phosphorus to copper, that's not good. You've got to get the ratios a little closer.
0: All right, let's jump to the next question. This one comes in from Larry down in Southwest Arkansas. He said, guys, I want to ask you about finesse. We're using finesse on our wheat here in Southwest Arkansas. We're getting 50 inches of rainfall a year. And after applying the finesse in the fall, I heard you say that you guys don't like it in wheat. Well, our wheat fields are really clean, better than when we use Zidua. So what's your concern with finesse? What should we be watching out for? We plan on double cropping with soybeans.
1: Yep. I have two concerns. Number one, it's not going to kill the weeds because it's ALS and there's ALS resistant kochia, pigweed, some ragweed. I mean, just a bunch of the most common weeds are ALS resistant. So if it's still killing your weeds, great, you're fine. But sooner or later, it probably won't work. Number two, I'm concerned about carryover. It's more of a worry where we have less rainfall and high pH, but nevertheless, I worry about carryover But if you're raising nothing but wheat, then you don't have any worries. I'm just saying finesse can stay in the soil for a long time. Look at the label and you'll see what I mean.
0: Yeah. The other thing with those double crop beans, a lot of double crop beans in your area, Larry, are STS tolerant. And so we're seeing a lot of growers utilize that to... Uh, Just because some of these chemistries that can carry over in wheat, if they're planting STS-tolerant soybeans, uh, they seem to be pretty tolerant of those, or they should be anyway. Uh, So make sure you're planting an STS-tolerant bean in your double crop rotation as well. Okay, I had a question come in from F.M. He says, you guys worry about the salt in manure. Uh, but you don't talk about it as much in the commercial fertilizer. Is that a big concern as well and is that the real problem, not the manure?
1: No, it's not that big a concern and here's why. Because when we talk about manure, what do we usually say? We'll tell you Midwest Labs says right on their, their form when, when you get the results back, 500 pounds is what they recommend as a maximum for salt when you get 25 inches of rain or more. Well, think about that. 500 pounds. How much fertilizer are you putting out there as commercial fertilizer? I, I mean, I don't know many people that are even putting 500 pounds out there. So I'm, I, I, I mean, and that's all the fertilizer. So I'm not that worried about it. We usually aren't having any issues whatsoever with even massive rates when they're broadcast. What we worry about with commercial fertilizer is if it's in close proximity to the seed or young seedling. Then it's like you've put on a much, much heavier dose because the plant gets so much in in one shot. So broadcast,
0: I'm
1: really not that worried.
0: Hey, thanks for the for the question, FM uh, Dale down in Florida asked, "What do you guys use for apps for figuring out fertilizer?" Uh, we use the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App to figure out the crop nutrients that we need to put out for each crop and yield goal, and then we use Verify to manage those nutrient applications and set up our variable rate maps. That's V R A F Y dot com. Thanks for the question, Dale, and thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.